Awesome. Man, uh, what a good day. Uh, it's, it's a bad day. Y'all already know when I don't get as much sleep, which I don't get when we have to bump the hour ahead uh, like we did last night. And then and then to have all this emotion going on, it's going to be a cry day. So y'all just deal with it, all right? I can't help it. I don't want to cry when I preach, but it just happens, okay? Um, but I do thank you guys for participating with us uh, in that. Uh, he's going to be leaving. I didn't even talk about that, but he's going to be leaving uh, on March 15th. Um, so be praying for him next Wednesday as they head out, staying for seven days. And uh, uh, the Normans, as a way of, of helping you guys pray for them effectively, they actually have uh, cards at Next Steps today that you can grab on your way out into the lobby today uh, that actually have all the people groups, all the different people groups of Panama. There's going to be some that they're going to be, their, their ministry is going to be impacting more than others. Uh, but we just wanted us as a church, over the, especially over the next seven days at least, to be praying for the peoples of Panama, um, that God would do something cool among them in the days to come. So uh, you can grab those on your way out from the Normans at Next Steps in the lobby. But if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to First John 1. Uh, so we started this study uh, last week, this sermon series, and, and it's not, if you're, if you're new to Lindsay Lane East, um, oftentimes we don't necessarily move like verse by verse and dive into every single word that's in the text, because oftentimes when we do that, we miss the context of what's going on, and we miss the whole point of, of the letter itself. And so today, or over the next five, total of five weeks, uh, this week and three more, we're going to be looking just overall, look, grasping the overall arguments of this book. And so first and foremost, the book of 1 John is a letter. And so often, because it's in the Bible, we go, ah, it's, it's a Bible book. Yes, and it's inspired by God. Yes, but it's first and foremost a letter that was written by a particular person to a particular people for a particular purpose in a particular time. I know that's a lot of particulars. But that's what letters are, right? Any letter is that way. And so 1 John is no different. And so we're going to walk through five key themes that I believe are in this letter. And so last week we saw really the overarching purpose that John had in writing this letter um, was to help believers have more confidence in their faith. And that's why we're calling this study Who You Are in Christ. Um, again, five themes. Last week's theme was fellowship. We have fellowship with God, with Jesus, and with the church um, is what John says. And that's significant. And so today, uh, we're getting into the, a common theme that we see throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament and here in 1 John, which is light. Okay, so that's the theme of today, light. And the text are some of some very confusing and oftentimes misinterpreted passages. Okay, uh, so we're going to look at some difficult passages today, um, which means that uh, my study time was extra long this week. And, uh, but that's, that's what we have to do when we come to passages like this. And so, uh, my mind is tired from all the wrestling, but I believe that the message today will be helpful for all of us. Um, if we'll, if we'll dive in and, and really grasp this. So I'm going to read first John one, five through 10, which is kind of the first block of text we're going to look at. And then I'm going to pray. Um, and then we'll come back and walk through it, uh, together. So first John one verse five, the word of the Lord says this. This is the message we have heard from him. He's already spoken about Jesus. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let me voice a prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you give us understanding today. Uh, God, teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, as I said earlier, this is a real letter that John wrote to either one church family or multiple churches, kind of in a group. We don't really know, but we know that he wrote this letter to address particular issues in the church. Um, And we're actually going to find out next week that a big part of that was that there were false teachers in the church. There were people that were teaching false truths. Um, and so John here seems to be quoting things that he's heard from people in the church. He keeps saying, if we say, and then there's something in quotes, right? And then he kind of gives the outcome of that. So we have to keep that in mind as we study through this. Last week I told you that it is clear John is writing to believers, some of whom may be lacking confidence in their salvation. Just to remind you of that, that's chapter 5, verse 13. Let me read it to you. It's at the end of the letter. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life, right? And so he's writing to believers so that they may know they have eternal life. And so John's going to go deeper really in this section to address something that was a big issue in the church. It seems that some teachers in the church uh, were leading people in the community to believe there was a way in which to discover salvation apart from all the things God's word teaches us salvation is supposed to look like. And we don't know exactly what that teaching was, but John goes on to address three misconceptions about salvation that would probably lead to someone actually having a false faith, okay? And they all center around this visual and this this kind of analogy that John uses of light and dark. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to walk through that. John uh, keeps this idea of light going through most of the text, Uh, So misconception number one, note takers, jot it down. Here it is. Fellowship with God, uh, the misconception was fellowship with God is possible with a darkened understanding. Fellowship with God is possible with a darkened understanding. When we read 1 John 1 all the way through chapter 2, verse 2, which we'll get to here in a little bit, John talks about some key ideas that we need to believe and understand as followers of Jesus. These are things uh, that we would almost say you need to, that, that these kids that got in the water today already understand, okay? I, I made sure that I talked with two other kids today in between services, another brother and sister, about salvation. And these are the things that I made sure they understood because they're important to understand salvation. Um, so the first thing John, uh, he gives us three beliefs, three things he talks about, God, humanity, and Jesus. There's beliefs, core beliefs about these three particular things. Foundation to everything John's going to say next is the truth that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Now remember that these early believers, they have access to copies of the Old Testament and they're familiar that the very first words that the God of all creation we have in writing is what? Let there be light, right? So we have that. They, they have that. They have the writings of Moses. They have the writings of the prophets. And, um, and then they, they know this, Isaiah 9, 2 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. They have access to these Old Testament scriptures 2,000 years ago. And what they know is that there's this idea that God is light and that we are here in the land of darkness. And, and though it's an Old Testament idea, it's carried over into the church's theology. They recognize that the world we live in is darkness. And surely I don't have to belabor that point. Surely you see that. Turn on the news, walk outside, like anything. Like this is a, a dark world that we live in and that there is only one 
source of light by which man can see and live. And John says it's God. He is light. And I'll say this. It is impossible to be in fellowship with God through salvation without recognizing that he is the source of all life and all love and all light. Like that, that, ha- that has to be in place. And so he, Paul, John addresses that. And then he, then he seems to address some in the church who have a darkened understanding of the role of sin in our lives. And, and with many things in the Bible, uh, I don't know if y'all, you know, again, turn on the news. It's a very polarized world we live in. That's not new. Uh, polarized people are always there. So even in the church John's writing to, there were these polar opposite groups of people that he addresses here. He says one person in the church is saying, I have fellowship with him, but I can still live my own way. I don't intend to change. Like that's, that's, this is one of the people that John brings up in the text I just read. John says, that is not what salvation is. You see, if we have fellowship with God, this is what I was talking to the kids earlier. If we have fellowship with God, it has to be in the light because that's who he is. God can't be in darkness. He is light. And so if we're going to live this life, if we're going to receive salvation, have fellowship with God, it's got to be in the light. So there is no cause for us to live, think we have salvation without any openness to change. But John introduces us to another ideology that was present in the church, which is on the other end of the spectrum. And that is the person who says, I don't have anything to repent of. I mean, I think I got it all together. I think uh, it's been a pretty good week, pretty good month, pretty good year, pretty good last 10 years. I don't have anything to repent of. John says that this person is deceiving themselves Then he says that the truth of God is not in them. And then he says that they are making God out to be a liar. Now that is intense. So when we say we don't have sin, John says those three things are happening. But both of these views, we know these views of the sin of humanity, John says are wrong. And listen, sadly, both are pretty prevalent in modern churches today. We have people who want the benefits of salvation yet aren't willing to surrender their lives, surrender. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's one side of this spectrum, right? And John says it, it's present there, and I believe it's present here. But I'm going to talk about for a moment the other side of that. Because I've never met a Christian who said, you know what? I couldn't tell you the last time I sinned. Man, I, golly, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a minute. I don't know if I ever have. Like, I've never met anybody. All of us as believers acknowledge that we have sinned. We acknowledge that. But listen, we would never say, I've never sinned or I don't sin. But so many Christians today act like it. Functionally, we would never say it, but functionally we act like it. We come into church. We walk around and we say good morning and we have a smile on our face. And how's your week? Oh, it's been good. It's been good. Been good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, like we walk around like, but listen, I, sh- I shared my story through email with somebody that was, was wrestling with similar things, man. Uh, Lindsay Lane East, y'all have no idea how much a blessing Lindsay Lane East was to my family. Simply because, and, and, and nothing against the churches I've been in in the past, but one of the things that we were trying to do as a staff was to drive our churches that I was in in the past towards a realness and towards an honesty. And it was hard work. The moment I stepped in this place, 
y'all were creepy honest <laughs> and creepy real. And I was like, okay, it's a little much to take in. Hang on a second. Whew, okay, I love it, right? Like, I love it. And so one of the things um, that, that, was, that, that predates me, I didn't bring that here, but Andy John, who was our founding pastor here at Lindsay Lane East, and now he's at our Athens campus, um, kind of as our lead pastor over all our campuses of Lindsay Lane and our, and our Christian Academy, one of the things he told me when I came in, he said, Heath, if you'll do three things, if you'll do three things, we'll never have a hard conversation. I said, tell me what they are. He said, if you'll preach the word, if you'll love the people. And the third thing he said was, guard the culture. Because what he knew was, is God had done a work in this place that had brought us to the place where we were. And honestly, he didn't want me messing it up. But this is what we do. So this is what I'm going to do. And so as a church, man, just know if it's your first time worshiping with us, this is who we are. Uh, we try to be a place of real people, real conversations, and real honesty. And there's times where I'm going I'm to tell you a dumb story about myself at the very end of the service that's going to make you lose credibility. Um, but it has nothing to do with spiritual stuff. Um, but this is a place where we want to be real, and I want to guard that culture. And so that means we've got to have hard conversations with ourselves. And, and y'all, if y'all see me acting like I've got it all together, come up, slap me in the head, and tell me to stop. Because this is who we are. So we've got to be... Because, man, it, it doesn't just affect our relationships here in the church. It keeps them surface level, right, if we're not real with one another. But what about the people who come off? They're skeptical of church, and they're skeptical of church people, and they come in, and some of you may be those people, and they sit in the pews, and they see a bunch of fake, garbage smiles and junk going on. They're going to walk out of this place and never want to come back. Why give up a Sunday morning? Why not get to sleep in on Sunday? And not have to put up with that facade mess. I'd sleep in too. But God has done a work in this place and we want to continue to do that. This is harmful not just for yourself. It's damaging to the kingdom of God. So John's correcting this, this darkened understanding that some people have of sin. And I think it's prevalent today. But then he goes on to talk about a darkened understanding that they may have of Jesus. This is John chapter 2 uh, verses 1 and 2. He says, My little children... I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the, those of the whole world. So John says two things about Jesus in these verses, and note takers, you're going to love it. This is like a sub-sub point, right? Oh, type A people, you're digging it. Two things John says about Jesus. First, he says Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our advocate. Advocate, this word literally, it means helper. It means like intercessor. It's a go-between. He's the one who is with the Father, who speaks on our behalf. When we are in Christ, Christ makes sure that our prayers and our salvation remain secure in the hands of the Father. He's our go-between. But he's also our atonement. John says that he calls him our atoning sacrifice. Some of your Bibles are going to have a word that starts with a P, which is one of my favorite words to say as a pastor, propitiation. You don't have to know what that word means. There's a, that's why a lot of modern translations choose not to use that word, because I promise you that didn't come up at work this week, right? Did propitiation come up at anybody's workplace this week? As a pastor, mine may be the only place it came up. But 
This is not a word. So a lot of times we change a different word for it, but I'm going to teach you what propitiation means, what atoning sacrifice means. Look, all of these words acknowledge that the relationship that we had with God from the very beginning, God created us to be with him like this, that our sin jacked that up. And it messed it up and it it pulled us, our sin pulled us away from God. That's what happened. And so... What, what propitiation and atoning sacrifice means is that yet Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, gave up his life to bring us back together. It's this debt, uh, both of, all the words have a debt type language to them. That the debt that we had, we, we deserve to be separated from the God of light because of our darkness, that the debt was paid in Jesus. And if I owe Steve 20 bucks and Kenny goes and pays my 20 bucks, guess what I don't owe Steve anymore? 20 bucks. So Steve comes to me and expects something back. I'm going to tell him, hey man, paid in full, baby. And this is the relationship we have, this atonement that we have to repay someone's debt because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We are broken sinners who cannot not sin. We cannot not sin. We deserve to be separated from God. However, Jesus took on all of our sin and he died for it. And now for those of us who are in Christ, the debt has been paid. It's what Paul meant when he said in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So John here is stepping in and saying, man, there's teaching in the church that I'm writing to. And man, your, your beliefs are all messed up. And, and these, are, these are important beliefs that are going to keep you from experiencing faith in the way that God has for you. So he steps into that misconception. And corrects it. We can't have a, a darkened understanding of God, humanity, and Christ when you've got to bring light to our understanding. Second misconception um, he addresses is what's going to happen in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, the idea that fellowship with God is possible with a darkened obedience. A darkened obedience. He's already touched on it some in the first verses, but he really dials it in with chapter 2. This is how we know, I'm in verse 3, this is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet didn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Now, it seems that there were some in the church who were teaching that fellowship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ didn't involve an obedience-shifting change of life. Okay? However, that doesn't even make sense. And here's why. As your pastor, I intentionally use language that I didn't necessarily grow up hearing. Okay? When I was growing up, you were called a Christian. Okay? Like, that was the most common word that was being used. Nobody's called you a follower of Jesus. That was a really creepy, uh, that was weird. I don't know, I mean, it's, it's biblical, but it's just a weird thing to say. I intentionally use language like that because I believe follower of Jesus most accurately sums up what it means to trust him and follow him. Way too many people that I grew up with heard the gospel as Jesus died so that you don't have to go to hell. If you'll ask him to come live in your heart, you can be saved. And all of those things are true, but the problem with that explanation is it doesn't include a call to obedience and following Christ. Yet, following Jesus is one of the Bible's major talking points in describing salvation. So when I, when I, even when I'm speaking with children, and praise the Lord for a, like a 
object lesson. I just did at 11, at 10, 20, something like that. I sat down with two kids and I didn't use cutesy language with them. I said, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I use follow language and believe language. Now, I don't try to avoid, I don't, hear me say that. I don't try to avoid phrases like asking Jesus into your heart because it's a biblical idea, Galatians 2, 2, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. But I want to couple those ideas with discussions about obedience and lifelong commitment. It's why, like an absolute crazy person, I ask three questions in the baptistry. That's weird. When I came here, some of y'all probably thought it was weird. Why does he ask so many questions in there? But I ask those three questions because those three questions are things we see in Scripture about salvation. The first one is all about repentance. Have you repented of your sins? The second one is about faith and belief. I ask, are you trusting in Jesus alone to save you? If there's anything else on the table, that's not good. If you're expecting your good deeds to get you there, it's not good. It's about faith and belief. The third one I ask about is surrender and lordship. I say, do you commit to follow the Lord the rest of your life? And it's hard as a seven-year-old kid to say, yeah, right? Jagger has no idea how many years the Lord's going to give him on this earth. I pray a whole bunch. But he committed before his church family. He's going to follow Jesus with every one of them. And praise the Lord for that. I can remember being in high school, and the big buzzword I feel like in church was lordship. Lordship, and if you've been around the church, maybe you remember that, that period of time. Uh, if we ever had a week of revival... We didn't do tent revivals because it's hot in Alabama. So we came inside where it's air conditioned. But we'd have these revival meetings, right? We would bring in an evangelist from somewhere, another pastor, and, and golly, nine times out of ten, what was going to come out of that guy's mouth the first night? Lordship salvation. We're going to talk about that. Lordship salvation. It was a buzzword I heard a lot. And, and man, is. And I don't feel if you haven't been to revival service, uh, you don't get quiet guys to preach revivals, you get loud guys. Who, who, can, who can yell real loud. And so they would come in, they would scream about that. And, but listen, they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. They would say that many in the church of today want Jesus to be their Savior. They want Him to buy them out. They want Him to, they want him to get them out of a tough spot. But few actually surrender to Him as Lord. The argument is that those two things are inseparable requests. You don't get one without the other. Two sides of the same coin. You don't get salvation without the surrender. So all of this, I think all of that same argument, the reason why these pastors were coming in and preaching revivals at different churches was the same reason why John said what he just did. Look, if God has saved you, it is ultimately so that you would look like Jesus, that you would be a follower of Jesus. And to do that, God is going to help you strive for obedience by the work of his spirit in your life. Obedience will follow true salvation. Surrender is part of the whole thing. So to this point, John's addressed this misconception of a darkened understanding and then a darkened obedience, but now he tackles the third. Fellowship with God. There were some people in the church he's writing to saying that fellowship with God was possible with a darkened love. Listen to what the text says. Uh, This is chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the word you've heard. Yet, I'm, yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and, I and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 
The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Listen, John says right from the start, he says, I'm reminding you of something you should already know. He says, and what's funny is he doesn't even say it. Like there's times where sometimes as a pastor I go, you know the story of that. And sometimes that's dangerous. Like, to, But John is assuming that when he says this new command that's actually an old command, they know exactly what he's talking about. They know exactly what he's talking about. He says, it's not new anymore. You've known it since the very beginning of your faith. And so here I am, I'm reading it this week going, well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, what? What do you mean, John? So I started thinking, is it, is it the Ten Commandments? Is it like, you know, uh, something that God said to Adam and Eve in the garden? Like, what does he mean from the beginning? What is he? Well, what we know to this point is that John has said this a couple of times now, that I'm declaring to you what, G, what I received from Jesus. So I'm telling you what Jesus told me. So what tells me is probably something Jesus said. Okay, as an investigator, that's where I'm at. Okay, something Jesus said. So if you take all the words that Jesus wrote, compile them into a database, go to the search bar, and you type in new command, guess what pulls up? One, two verses that are kind of coupled together, and guess what book they're in and who wrote it? John. <laughs> John wrote, so John 13, 34 through 35, quoting Jesus. He said, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. He said, John had spoken this, uh, Jesus, I'm sorry, had spoken this to his disciples during his ministry with him, and no doubt that had been conveyed to the to their followers and then to their followers. But to, to, the, to the ones that John's writing to here years later, they knew this. And John says, it ain't new anymore. This is an old command. You, I've already told you about this. You know what Jesus said back when he was alive on the earth, when he was walking with us. You know what he said. This is an old command. But in John's mind, he also knows that a bunch of people ain't even keeping it. A bunch of people are walking in darkness and hating other people. John, he says that. So that's why I think John says, you know, I've got this new command. It's not really a new command. It's really an old command. You know what? But now that I think about it, it's actually a new command to a bunch of you because y'all ain't doing it. So an old command that you ain't doing is now a new command. Here it is, right? And so John is, is driving this home, but then he makes it known that there is no room for hate in the heart of a believer. John says the person who walks his life with hate towards others is not walking in the light but in darkness. And then he actually says the inverse of that. 1 John 2.10, he says the one who loves his brother, so not hate now, but the one who loves his brother remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. You see in this. Now, if you're like me when I was a kid, I'm always looking for loopholes, right? Like when my mom and dad would tell me what they wanted me to do, I'm going, okay, where's the loophole in that? Anybody? Anybody a loophole finder with your phone? Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> me and Matthew, we're in this together. 
All right? I'm always looking for a loophole when I was a kid anyway. Like, how, how can I find my way out of what you want me to do? And I know some of you are thinking, wait, wait, wait. So the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness. Oh, the guy I hate, he don't know Jesus. So this one doesn't apply to me. Good, because brother or sister is a a common language for for, uh, salvation, right? I mean, for uh, for, uh, those who have trusted in Jesus. So some of you are thinking, man, man, the the person I hate, show enough, ain't no Christian. But listen, we've got to remember John's writing a particular group of people to address particular issues. And he, again, is, is probably writing to clear up issues within the church, issues among believers, but this is not the only place that we see Jesus reference this, this new command to love one another. In another place, Jesus says there's two really important commands from the Old Testament. One is to love the Lord your God, and the other one is to love your neighbor as yourself. Guess who fits under the neighbor category? Everybody. Everybody. Nobody doesn't fit. And so none of us, if, if there's hate in your heart, you don't get to go, well, they're not a Christian, so I can still hate them. <clears throat> Wrong. Hate for anyone goes against the very new nature, the new heart that God has given us. So John is saying here that love for others accompanies our salvation. God gives us a new heart to be part of this great spiritual moment in our life, and that new heart has the ability to love others well. And what John is going to eventually address are these false teachers that were teaching things, and here it seems that they were teaching that Harboring hatred is okay. And the moment I hear, the moment John says, when you hear that, church, that's false teaching. And so I can't say that either, because then y'all got to fire me. It's false teaching. So I can't stand here today and tell you it's okay that there's sin in your heart towards other people. Hear me, church. Blatant disobedience and hatred towards others have no place in the heart of a believer. Today, if that's where you find yourself, you need to repent of it. You need to repent of that if it is in your heart and ask God to help you not go back there. I'll say this. Um... (laughs) uh, some of us in the room, man, maybe you're, maybe Satan's doing in your heart right now what he did with mine this week, which was see all this, to see all this text and go, man, that's for somebody else, somebody that's really bitter, somebody that's just, man, out living among the world, but that ain't me. And I, I'm not saying I got all together, Right? But this week, I was wrestling with this text and was even acknowledging in my own heart, do I have something I need to wrestle with? And I thought of a really dumb story that's really embarrassing. And like, I, there's probably people that left our church this morning because this is such an embarrassing story. Uh, a few weeks ago, Kenny and Samuel and I uh, went to eat lunch at Taco Mama. Good food. And... Uh, I ordered first, and it kind of took them a while. I can't remember why. Maybe there was somebody in between us. I can't remember. But I fixed my drink, and I needed to go. I needed, wanted to go to the restroom, wanted to wash my hands before our food came out. And so I walked out with my drink, and I went out to the little outside area where they have now, 
And I don't, I'm not a phobia guy. Like, I'm not afraid of germs. I'm not, that's not something I do. But for whatever reason, I sat my drink down and I went, somebody's going to put something in this. Like Kenny and Samuel are still in their order, and I'm like, I can't leave my drink out here unattended. Somebody's going to come take a sip of it, put their finger in it. I don't know what's fixing to happen. So I took my drink with me. It's the safest place it could be. With me. However, I carried it into the bathroom. I will tell you, I covered the lid before I flushed. Okay, anyway. um, All right, hang with me. But in that moment, right, for whatever reason, what could happen to my drink outside, I wasn't going to let that happen. I was protecting that drink. But all the while, I carried it to a place that was arguably dirtier. Now, let me ask you. For those of us in the room that maybe have been walking with Jesus a long time, and maybe we've got a lot of processes and, and we've got a lot of obedience in line in our life, and so when we hear a message like this, we go, hey, man, that's, that's a great message for somebody. But I'm, I'm not there. Praise the Lord. He's helped me through that. But I just ask you to wrestle with. I know many of us, we're not letting people, we're, we're protecting ourselves. Man, I'm not going down that path. I'm not going down that path. I'm, I'm, I'm staying here. I would never let, and I, there's things in my life that are off limits. And while I'm protecting myself from those things, there's sins in my life every day that I'm letting go on. And my drink's getting dirtier and dearer. So I just ask you that I, I don't think any of us, unless Jesus walked in while I wasn't looking, none of us get a pass on this message. We all have to wrestle with what is the, what is the unrepentant place in my heart. We've been called to salvation and it was done by the, 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 our salvation was accomplished by the God of the universe who is light himself. And he saved us not to continue in sin and in darkness, but to join him in the light, to walk with him in right beliefs and right obedience and right love. Well, church, I just got to say, if these things are out of whack for you, first off, same thing I talked to Emmy and Jagger about, the same thing I talked to AJ and Finley about, You need to repent. You need to turn from that sin and turn back to the God who saved you. These things are out of whack. That's always step one. When you recognize sin, you don't need to call your pastor. You don't need to post it on Facebook, an apology. You need to go to the God of creation. Remember what uh, remember what Jesus said in First John. We have an advocate with the Father, and we can we can we can He forgives us of all unrighteousness. Ask him to help you with that part, to turn away from your sin. If God has helped you see today that maybe you have believed one of these misconceptions and that maybe your faith is not genuine, guess where that starts? Repentance. That's where it starts too. It starts with repentance. But you also need to acknowledge that you are currently separated from God because of your sin and that Jesus was the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for your sins through his life, death, and resurrection, the fact that God raised him from the dead. We need to, in prayer, acknowledge those things before the Lord and begin trusting Jesus as the only one who can save us and commit the rest of our lives to following him. That's what I'm here for. Not the only reason I'm here for, but I'm here to help you process through that. If today that's where God places, man, I'm, I, I've been believing one of these misconceptions and, and, and I just need to talk to somebody about maybe 
the fact that my faith is not genuine and not real. I'm going to stand back at the back during one more song. I'll be right back there. And if you need to come talk to me, just say, hey, man, I need to commit my life to follow Jesus, or I need to talk about it, I need to whatever. We'd love to start that conversation with you right here and help you search that out. But today, I want to give all of us an opportunity to either worship God for who he is, a God of grace who continues to show grace to a bunch of goofy people and allow us to partner with him. I want to give you that opportunity. I also want to give you an opportunity to pray, to repent today, whether where you are or come to the altar of God, to pray for yourself or for other people in your life, or if you need to come talk to me about a next step that you need to take in your life. Whatever the case, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll just take some time to respond during this last song. Father God, we thank you. Uh, God, for, um, I guess I just said it, but God, that you show grace to us, and God, that uh, you didn't give up on me, and God, uh, I've given you plenty of re- plenty of opportunities, uh, God, to prove myself to be unworthy of your salvation, unworthy of the grace that you've given. But God, time and time again, you forgive me of my sin and you fold me back in and you keep using me for your glory. God, I pray for everybody here. God, no matter where they fall on the things we've talked about today, God, we wouldn't leave this place before we wrestle with it. So, God, we trust you with these moments. God, we trust you uh, to to speak to our hearts, God. Even if we've been distracted to this moment, God, because of things in our mind or in our heart, God, I pray that even in this moment, your spirit would draw us to where you need us to be. God, we'd leave this place different. God, I thank you for Lindsay Lanise, God, for who we are, God, the way we exist in our community and... God, I pray that you just keep giving us vision and help help us guard this culture that you've placed here. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, let's stand and respond however you need to.